Well, good morning, Church of the Cross. It is uh, good to be here. Uh, I am really good friends with Cliff Warner, who is the rector at Christ Church, which Church of the Cross was birthed out of. And Cliff and I were in a Pastors and Covenant group for church planners uh, before Christ Church was Christ Church, before Church of the Cross was Church of the Cross. So it's beautiful to see the fruit of his labor and the fruit of Peter's labor and all of you all uh, being here today. Uh, we're excited about the opportunity to share God's word with you uh, this morning. And uh, I want to uh, just thank my wife, April, for being here. And um, she's right over here. Just wait. Yeah, there you go. And, uh, and then my children are in your children's ministry. So we'll see how that works out after this is over. <laughs> Either you will love us or they will love you, one of the two. Uh, we have a five-year-old, Anaya, uh, and then we have a four-month-old, Karis. And um, so we're starting over again. Uh, Kara slept through the night most of the week until last night, and then she decided to wake up. So if I say some crazy stuff today, there may be some sleep deprivation involved <laughs> in uh, the message today. Well, today I'm going to be reading out of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 20. Uh, we've heard it already, but I will read it again so that I am planted on the foundation of Scripture this morning as I share says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I just want to share a few statements uh, that are highlighted in this passage of Scripture, and then I want to share how this Scripture has become alive to me in my own spiritual journey. Um, Paul is saying that he bows his knees before the Father, and it's interesting that we live in a society where a lot of people don't bow anymore. Uh, I didn't bow this morning because my knees are bad. And so if I had a bow, I might have been preaching from my knees over here. But there was this sense of humility uh, to bow his knees before the Father. And he says he does that because the mystery of the gospel has been revealed to him. And I think often because the gospel is so available to us in so many different ways, we today often forget how rare it was to have access not only to the written scriptures, but to the true mystery of the gospel, the grace of Christ that is made available to us. Um, and so he talks about the fact that it has been revealed to him and that he has been graced by God to share it even in the midst of suffering for it. So you got to remember, Paul was not only a pastor, but he was a persecutor. He was not only a planter, but he was a murderer. And so his understanding of the gospel was even deeper because of the way that God had graced him to not only receive it, but then to be able to share it with others. And then he was willing to suffer for it. He went to jail for it. He was beaten for it. He was imprisoned for it. And so he acknowledges then in this passage that all of us get our lineage from God. We live in a society where people are very uh, interested in their heritage. People are paying money to send in DNA swabs to find out where they come from. 
I think the government is collecting all of that stuff for a reason. But anyways, <laughs> um, when you think about it, though, no matter what your background is, whether your parents are still married or divorced, whether you were uh, the product of a one-night stand or the product of a long-term relationship, whether you were uh, the reality of a family that has addiction issues or a family that has doctoral degrees, your true lineage as a believer in Christ comes from God. So he then says, uh, he begins to share and pray for the church at Ephesus that God, who is rich in glory, can and will give us the strength and the power through his spirit in our inner being or in our spirit to know that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And that's something we have to believe because I've never seen Jesus physically. I don't know about you. Anybody had a physical experience like where they've seen Jesus? I got pictures that are representations of what people say he looked like, but I've never seen him. But by faith, I believe he lived, he died, and he rose from the dead. And by faith, I believe that he lives in me through his spirit. And so he goes on to say, this speaks of the fact that the message of Christ would dwell in their belief system, as I often refer to as their BS. Can I say that in an Anglican church? <laughs> belief system, okay. Um, not based on what they do, but based on the faith that they have in the gospel. And then as a result of that, they would be rooted and grounded in love. So this is not a performance-based experience. This is not a metrics-based ministry. Our relationship with God is based on that, a relationship. Not how well we're able to perform, not how many rules we can follow, but can we believe and realize that Jesus the perfect one died for imperfect people because he chose to, because he wanted to. And God in his great love sent him here to do this. And when we get rooted and grounded in this love, it changes the way we think. Now the phrase rooted and grounded really speaks to me because about a year and a half ago, we built our second home as a family uh, since we've been married. And uh, rooting and grounding was a major part of building the home. We spent hours laying sod and watering for roots to take place so that we would have a long-term yard that others can walk on. Uh, our cement foundation is grounded so that our two-story house will stand on it for years, even after we move and it won't fall. To be rooted and grounded in love means that we are established by the love that God has for us and the love that God has demonstrated for us through his son Jesus so that nothing in all creation can separate us from it and we are standing firm on it. I trust that this ground is going to hold me up. The pounds I had prior to having children and the additional 40 pounds I've gained since having children, this <laughs> ground, I believe, is going to hold me up. I'm rooted and grounded in it. And as we are rooted and grounded in love, he prays that we would have strength to comprehend or to understand within the community of other believers the extensiveness of the love of Christ, which is literally mind-blowing, he says. Paul mentions that this love is broad, long, high, and wide. He uses parameters that we understand to frame a limitless love that is impossible for us to fully understand. But that can only be fully experienced, he says, in the community of other believers. We can't live out love one another if we're not around one another. You can't forgive people who don't make you mad. And you can't learn to forgive until you get close enough to somebody for them to make you mad. 
Uh, you can't have mercy on someone unless you're close enough to somebody who needs mercy. So he prays that this love, when accepted, will fill us with the fullness, with all the fullness of God. That's a whole lot of love. There's a whole lot of God. Can you imagine all of the fullness of God being filled in us because we have fully embraced the love of God? And then he ends with this doxology. And if I was in an African-American church, this is where I would start to hoop. He says, <laughs> now to him, God, who is able, fully capable to do so much more than we could ever ask or imagine according to the power. And that power is the love of Christ lived out that is at work in us. And then he prays that as a result, God would get glory in the church. Now, isn't that a novel idea? That God would get glory in the church. Not the rector, not the worship leader, not the worship band that's selling thousands of albums, no offense. Not the person that has tons of books, but that God would get glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, our forefathers and our great-grandchildren and our great-great-grandchildren and our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren and forever beyond the limited space and time that we now know we're experiencing. And then he says, amen, which means so be it. Um, so Paul's basic message here is that he wants us to experience the power of being fully loved by Jesus so that we can live the life that Jesus died for us to live. A full or abundant life here on earth and then an eternal lasting life in heaven. The message of being fully loved by God is the reason that we are walking with him today. And I've seen this in my journey as I've learned to walk with Jesus over the last number of years. Now, let me share a little bit about my story and how this passage has impacted me um, and how I've seen this lived out. So I grew up in a family where I was deeply loved by my mom, my dad, and my brother. Uh, we were our own tribe, often considered outcast by many because of our faith. Uh, my parents became believers before my brother and I were born, which is a good thing. Um, and by the time I came on the scene, my dad was already a pastor in the Church of God in Christ, which is the largest African-American denomination in the world. In the late 70s, when they came to faith, it was a denomination that had a lot of legalism. I mean, committed demonstration by their members. <laughs> and so women couldn't wear pants or makeup. They had to wear long sleeves to cover their arms and stockings to completely cover their legs. Members often attended church services four to seven times a week, fasted on Tuesdays and Fridays. There were often what we call shut-ins, which y'all refer to as lock-ins, with a whole lot of prayer, uh, where we couldn't leave until the sun came up. So as a four-year-old, five-year-old, it's a little complicated. There's only so many things you know how to pray for at four years old, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was through my list by seven, you know. They believed in the demonstrative, demonstrative gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they embraced the gift of speaking in tongues. Any given night, we would be in church past midnight, and as a pastor or a member was casting out a demon from someone in the church. This was my normal experience uh, as a kid. So for the first seven years of my life, we went to church seven days a week and three times on Sunday. I, was, I knew where I was going to be. I didn't need an iPad. I didn't need a, a calendar. Every day I would be in church. And there were prayer meetings in my home, lots of trips, traveling up and down the road, going to services. We were only allowed to listen to gospel music, of which I started singing in church at the age of four years old. Started teaching Sunday school at six. Um, 
to six-year-olds, rather, when I was eight because I could read. Okay, so if you could read, then you could teach the kids who couldn't read. That was the way it was. So I made a decision to follow Jesus on December the 2nd, 1984, just weeks before my eighth birthday. And I knew that Jesus died for my sins. I knew that I wanted a relationship with him. And I knew that I did not want to go to hell because this church was the kind of church that would literally scare the hell out of you. I mean, you would watch videos of what hell could be like as a kid in a lock-in and you would say, that's not where I want to go. So as I began to walk with Jesus in this tradition over the next 10 years of my life living in my parents' house, I realized that I was working hard for my salvation. I was singing, playing drums, speaking, all while hiding my sin struggles because I was perceived, I perceived rather that what was more important was how I was perceived rather than who I really was. So I learned to live a duplicitous life to protect my reputation and my dad's role as a pastor. And on top of that, I was a nerd in school. Uh, my nickname was Urkel, because I had really big glasses before big glasses were cool. Had a really bad haircut, because my dad wouldn't take me to the barbershop. And I dressed like this most days at school. <laughs> so as I got to college, I attended a Bible study six days a week, only because there were no Bible studies on Saturdays. And at 18 years old, I accepted my call to preach November the 19th, 1995, in Moore Hill Dormitory at the University of Texas. My hunger for God was real. My love for his word insatiable, and my passion for ministry was growing. So as a sophomore, I became the chaplain of the gospel choir, president by my junior year, serving for three years, started a Bible study on campus that later became Texas Gospel Fellowship with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It grew to 130 students in four years. I went on staff at a large urban church and saw it grow from 800 members to 3,500 members in just five years. I was walking with Jesus, but I was also working for Jesus until I hit a wall. I was working so hard that my body started overproducing adrenaline, which caused it to stop producing serotonin, and I entered into a clinical depression, also known as adrenal fatigue or burnout. And for six to eight weeks, I could barely get out of the bed and could not work. During that time, the world moved on without me, and it survived. More than that, I saw that God loved me when I could do nothing for him. A passage that ministered to me during that time was out of Psalm 34, 18, where it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. I'm gonna be honest with you. I often thought, if this is what it takes to get close to the Lord, I don't want to be close to him. And doing nothing for Jesus over time, I realized that Jesus loved me, not for what I was doing for him, because when I could do nothing for him, he still loved me. I began to walk in that fact and realize that I was fully loved by God, not because I could follow the rules and not engage in my known sin patterns for three weeks or because I preached a good sermon, but because he created me in my inmost being and he knit me together in my mother's womb. Because God is love and cannot be outloved. Because while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Because of the gospel, I had been preaching but really struggled to believe. My self-esteem was no longer based on what I could do. My identity was no longer based in what I could do. My value was no longer based in what I could do, but in who I was. God's child, 
fully loved. There really is nothing I can do to make him love me more. There's nothing I can do to make him love me less. I am fully loved. 1 John 4, 16 through 19 says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment when we stand before him. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. So I don't have to be afraid of God because I know he loves me. And if he loves me, I know whatever he allows to happen to me, he allows it to happen and he still loves me. So after going through this experience, I ended up writing a devotional book called Being, A 30-Day Guide to Being Who God Created You to Be. I don't have any more copies of it, but I have some digital versions if you are interested. Uh, The premise of the book was the truth that I learned in the valley of the shadow of death. Once I accepted that I was fully loved by God, I could be free to be me and do what God created me to do out of who he created me to be with no strings attached and no fear of others and what they think of me. I went from people-pleasing to purpose-fulfilling. And I had to change my definition of success. Genesis 6.22 says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And I finally realized that obedience equals success. Not how many people came to my church, not how much money I make, not how many people follow my blog, how many books I sell, The freedom that comes from being fully loved by God is amazing, but so often under-accessed by believers who have accepted Christ's sacrifice for their sins. His love is an equal opportunity employer. It does not discriminate based on gender, age, or ethnicity. It does not discriminate based on socioeconomic background, zip code, or tax bracket. It does not discriminate based on political party or educational status. His love is broad, long, wide, and deep. We are swimming in an ocean of love where we can be enveloped and not drown, float and not sink. I don't know where you are in your journey with Jesus today, because it is a journey and not a destination. But wherever you are on the spectrum, whether you're a skeptic, a seeker, or a follower, I pray that you will receive the love of Jesus and allow his love to cover a multitude of sin. Allow his love to empower you to live for Jesus. Allow his love to fill you to the point that it overflows to your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, your enemies, and your friends, because that's what happens when we realize that God is able to do far abundantly more than we can ask, think, or imagine according to the power that is at work within us because we will be living it out. What I've discovered is that when I embrace being fully loved by God, I can love people that don't deserve my love. I can forgive people who don't deserve my forgiveness. I can accept people who don't accept themselves. I can celebrate people even when I don't feel celebrated because I'm full on his love. February of this year, we closed our church after nine years of working and planting and trying. I had to ask myself the question, did I finish what God told me to do? 
Did I do what God asked me to do? And if so, I was successful. It's not about finishing with a large building and hundreds of members. It's not about having a budget that is in the black. It's about did you do what God called you to do? Did you complete the assignment God had given you? So now when I wake up in the morning, I ask myself, do I want my daughter to know me as a pastor or as a dad? And I wrestled with that as the church was in limbo. What if she never knows me as the pastor of a church? God says, your most important calling in this season is to be a dad. And I may be called to pastor again. I know I'll be called to preach for the rest of my life. But my identity is not in what I do, but who I am. God's son. And in this society where we have learned to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, and we have embraced individualism in a way that often damages the understanding of the gospel, my prayer is that you will swim in that ocean of God's love. That you will float and not sink. That you would manage your expectations to realize that God is not as concerned about what you can do, but who you are. Let me pray for us. God, the good news of the gospel that we as believers in Christ embrace is that our effort does not determine our relationship with you. Yes, we want to read the Bible. Yes, we want to pray. Yes, we want to serve. Yes, we want to give. But we want to do that out of a loving relationship with you. We don't want to weekly give an offering as a mandatory anniversary gift. We don't want to weekly show up with you at church to check off our date day with you. God, we want to love you out of the response to the love that you have given us. And your word says that we love you because you first loved us. So God, for my brothers and sisters in here who are wrestling with perfection, I pray that you would allow them to know that they can strive to do well without having to be perfect. For those who have wrestled with comparing themselves to others, may they understand that you can't compare an original. God, for those who are wrestling with depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, may they realize that who you have created them to be is very good, as you said in Genesis. For those who are wrestling with their ability to be a good parent, their ability to be a good spouse, their ability to be a good employer or a good employee, Father, may they be able to build whatever they do out of the foundation that they are fully loved by you. May we walk in that love, live in that love, and ultimately die in that love, knowing that we will see you face to face and experience that love with no hindrances that sin may provide. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.